You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd, and I think his dog as well is with us today. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Yeah, got myself a new workmate here, so we're uh, we're just trying to figure out the uh, logistics of an eight-week-old puppy sitting on my lap while I'm recording this podcast. So there might be some crying. We'll see. He's currently uh, currently asleep on my lap at the moment, but uh, just uh, just getting him used to the just used to the workday, Kane, as we're all getting used to this uh, new normal, so to speak. But uh, the footy, let's let, let's transition into that because round eight's fixture has uh, has come out, and uh, the flavor of the month season, the Gold Coast Suns, they're in prime time. Well, if you're going to look at the positives to having this rolling fixture and the fact that you can change it, um, yeah, basically any week you want or or every few weeks as they drop the rest of the fixture, it's clearly getting better games. We hope on the Thursday, Friday night uh, time slots. If you're going to have Thursday night games and also Monday night games, you need them to be good games, or else people aren't going to watch the Suns. First time they've ever been on prime time, I believe. Uh, it's very it's very uh, funny how quickly this has changed. We spoke about the man Isaac Rankin yesterday. But when Matt Rowe went down, there was a little bit of doom and gloom around the Suns. So they get him back, and everyone's already like, okay, let's get this game on. We saw the Dogs and the Blues a couple of weeks ago on Thursday night. Not a matchup we're used to seeing in the prime time. I thought it was a really good game. Uh, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, so it's the Bulldogs again taking on the Suns on Thursday night. These are two teams who play uh, not the uh, not the Hawthorne, Richmond, Sydney low scoring styles that we've seen and been roundly criticised. I think somewhat uh, unfairly criticised. We can talk about that maybe a little bit later. But yeah, really good for Gold Coast. And this is what I think we talk about. Oh, they're just not the teams that draw. Well, they've got, they've, you've got to give them sometimes an opportunity to be exposed because there are people who don't have access to Fox Footy, don't have access to KO, who may not have seen Matt Rowe. And now that he's gone, they might not have seen Anderson or Lukosius or Rankin or any of these blokes playing. And they're going to have an opportunity now. So getting them exposed in this situation then can bring more people to the club and get more interested in them the next time they're out there. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, no question. And I have to apologize to you for bringing up the Carlton uh, (laughs) Bulldogs game again. Of course, I meant Carlton St. Kilda from a couple of weeks ago. So I've still got that game on my mind. But a couple of other matchups that are really interesting... Uh, Port and St Kilda on a Saturday night will be good. Of course, there's a grand final rematch on Friday night that I'm not really sure what to expect. It's going to be a giant stadium, so the Giants will have a little bit of an advantage there, perhaps against the Tigers, but uh, that'll be an interesting game. And as I mentioned, Monday night footy, the Dockers, it we've said, have been pretty competitive, will host the Cats there. So uh, as far as the round eight fixture goes, for now, we think this is going to be the case. We're certainly on New South Wales uh, COVID watch, I think, as we speak. Hopefully, um, this is just a, a, a few little mini outbreaks here, mini cases that we're seeing in New South Wales, and it doesn't affect footy in Sydney. I, I think the plans are after round eight, another couple of teams are going to move across to Western Australia, which makes sense. Uh, they seem to be able to, uh, just by virtue, I think, of being on the other side of the damn country, that they can uh, keep control of this better than certainly Victoria right now. So, uh, as long as we can keep the footy rolling, I think it will be fine. But New South Wales, with two weeks of footy still to be played in that state, just uh, on watch a little bit. 
I'm glad, just circling back to something you said, you, know, you apologise for talking about Carlton and the Carlton game, but it's something that you know, I've seen you know, thrown out, and this is something that we try to avoid doing on, on this podcast, is being reactionary, but the amount of articles and tweets that I've seen come out in the last two days, and maybe I'm just bitter because they beat the Bulldogs, <laughs> Carlton, sexy footy, they're bringing sexy back, how exciting, they're the greatest team, they're pushing, they need this one piece and then they're winning finals. Whereas last week, Thursday night, they got their pants pulled down by St Kilda, they were embarrassed, and people were, what's wrong with Carlton? Look how bad they are. It's, it's what, seven, eight days apart? Like, you can't have those. They were, they were they played well on Sunday night, but every game, there are so many factors that go into it. The Bulldogs, where they switched on, was it the weather? What happened against St. Kilda? Like, all these factors, it's not like, Carlton, they're the best team in the world. No, they're the worst team in the world. Like, that's not how any of this stuff works. Yeah, well, Carlton also are a young team as well, so I think you're going to get that roller coaster ride with them. But there's no doubt. I mean, the St. Kilda were all the talk after that game, and then they went down to Frio. It's this crazy <laughs> uh, season that we're in. I mean, this is what we're going to be doing week by week, and that's why uh, you do have to just take a step back and, and, and say, okay, what, what does this win really mean? I think for Carlton, clearly the fact that they're in the eight and, and the fact that they won by so much. I mean, they haven't won games by that margin for, for quite a while. I think it was noteworthy, but... Um, oh, it was for sure. Certainly, certainly, they've had their, their struggles through the season as well, and find themselves uh, among a huge bunch of teams that run twelve points. But speaking about struggles, Sydney, uh, I, I I don't know. Are they going to run out of players here as the season goes on? Just a horrific luck with injury for them over the last month. Well, they've already run out of tall players. All, all their ruckmen yeah, seem have, to be yeah. out. That uh, Naismith gone for the season. Aaliyah Aaliyah was a uh, last-minute withdrawal on the weekend. Now they're losing midfielders. Heaney out for the season. Kennedy out for six weeks, which might stretch even longer. I think Callum Sinclair's had some issues. Like just, uh, oh, Buddy Franklin is out. Like <laughs> there's every one of their like good players, all tall players, seems to be hurt at the moment. Yeah, we'll touch on the Swans a little bit more. Just, I guess this is as good a time as any to mention. Wednesday, always, we have a mailbag uh, episode. So if you're just joining us on the podcast, feel free to send your questions through at LockedOnAFL on Twitter or at LockedOnAFL at gmail.com or LockedOnAFL at gmail.com, I should say. But yeah, I mean, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, when you think back to the game a week earlier, uh, he was essentially their number one ruckman going against Nick Nat, and it was just a clinic. And I know we talk a lot about hitouts on the podcast, but... It was just practice. It was, he was basically that uh, that marking bag that you can go up and hit it wherever you want with Nick Nat. We saw the same again on the weekend. Uh, they don't have any tall players. It's becoming really difficult for them to compete. And, uh, you know, when you look at teams and you look at the ladder and Sydney right now in 17th spot uh, with, with two wins, at the start of the year, I was impressed with how competitive they were. But now by virtue of these injuries, it's just going to be really difficult for them. And you wonder if, if this is a year that the Swans... Uh, very quickly say, okay, let's get some draft capital here. Let's write this one off. We've had a lot uh, of bad luck. I, I think they still have to look to the future as well because they've got a lot of good young players, uh, Sydney, but it's going to be difficult for them to compete from here. Yeah, I reckon they might. Uh, they won't necessarily just fold it in, but they are internally uh, are pretty close to folding it in, I would think. And and by folding in, I don't mean deliberately losing. But No, I mean, it's forced. <laughs> yeah, look, these guys aren't there, so let's get development into players. Let's try some different things out. Let's try some players. Let's let's just see what we can do without relying upon the guys who have been you know, such great options over years as heavily as we have in the past. And I think that's really key to get the game into these guys when it is a forced situation and winning is a priority because you always want these guys to do their best and win. But it's not your absolute number one, have to win at all costs because then there's a balance between winning and development of these players. 
Yeah, no question. I, I think that they have to as well. And this is again probably something we'll touch on more tomorrow. But they need to do. They do need to play attacking football. Obviously, that was a a pretty dour struggle they had against Richmond. And you can fall into that trap when you don't have the guys on the park, when you don't have the healthy players. You say, okay, let's go into defense mode and try and close this thing down. But those young guys will benefit from playing attacking footy. We've seen that with Frio again. I mean, we're gonna. I'm gonna talk about them all week, but. Uh, those young players were the ones that really played that attacking brand of football that got them back in the game. They didn't go into damage control mode when they were down six goals against the Saints and they picked up four points that nobody thought they were going to get. So uh, that'll be the thing for Sydney. Like, yes, you play the young players and they're doing that, but uh, they need to play attacking footy and they need to get on the front foot. And yeah, you might lose some games, but that might not necessarily uh, be the worst thing for that team uh, this season moving forward. The other bit of news to, to touch on is Bashahuli, of course, didn't go up with uh, Richmond up to Queensland um, in the in the hub for personal reasons, and now it has come out that his mother is in the intensive care unit uh, battling COVID-19. So, of course, uh, our thoughts and well wishes go out to uh, Basha and his family and just showing again the, the impact that this can have and anyone you know hanging shit on him for not going up yeah, needs to be... Uh, Needs to be mindful. There are plenty of things that do go on in the background for players, and he was dealing with a partner who's either just given birth or was about to give birth, and now his mother in ICU with with uh, with COVID nineteen. So, um, hopefully, things uh, work out in a positive way there for for Basha Hooley with his uh, with his mother and 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 with his child. Let's uh, let's crack it on to the next bit. This or that. This or that. Kane, this or that, what is the bigger or more important win this week or last week? Port Adelaide over GWS or Melbourne over Gold Coast? And I guess you can tackle that. You know, we, we've phrased it there, bigger or more important. So what do you want to go with? Yeah, well, two wins on different ends of the spectrum. I think Port Adelaide, when you think about getting over a GWS team, that was really rolling. They had a couple big wins in a row over Collingwood and Hawthorne. Actually, premiership favourites, I think, coming into the weekend. GWS and Ports slowed them down, rebounding from that loss that they had against Brisbane a week earlier. And Melbourne just needed to win. They needed to show something. So I guess I'm going to go with the Demons, although uh, I think there's plenty to talk about with the power. The big thing for mine, Melbourne, and we spoke about their their lack of ability to, to score. And we spoke about Tom, McGon- Tom McDonald, Jesse Hogan last week, how many goals they kicked, 100 goals combined in that 2018 season. The crazy thing about this they kicked 12 goals, 8-80 on the weekend against the Suns team that were playing attacking footy. So this was a game where two teams were looking to score. But Tom McDonald, they lost very, very early in the game to an eye, a pretty nasty eye injury, actually. I mean, he looked like he was in a fair bit of discomfort, not only at the time, but sitting on the bench as well. So hopefully his, his eyesight is okay after that. But he only had three disposals prior to that injury. So he was gone really early. They brought in Sam, Sam Wiedemann. Not huge in the stat sheet, but seven disposals, two goals. I thought he provided them a target. And I actually think they were they were less focused on McDonald. They were less focused on pumping the ball into the forward 50. I thought they were clever with their ball use. They won it around the inside. And we know that they have the guys that can do that. Jack Viney was huge. Clayton Oliver. Uh, Christian Petrarca is just a, an absolute beast right now. He's, he's one guy that's been in form all season long. Kicked another two goals as well. I just thought it was a good response by Melbourne because uh, Gold Coast were coming late in the fourth quarter as well. It was one goal for uh, Gold Coast to four straight Melbourne in the fourth quarter. So accurate kicking as well. Again, we talk about taking your opportunities. The Demons were able to do that. And I actually think this was a pretty damn good win because uh, this was a Gold Coast team that uh, last week could have been a little bit flat after going down to Geelong, losing that game, losing their best player. Uh, they were They were right in this game at the end. 
And I thought Melbourne did well to hang on. And it really, game in hand now. That's the thing you have to remember with Melbourne. So, yes, they're on eight points, only two wins. But they have a game in hand, which means uh, with that win, uh, they could, could catapult themselves into the eight. So, Melbourne, all of a sudden, for all the doom and gloom, a nice win here maybe is a little bit of a launch pad. And there's a lot of criticism of Melbourne and their kicking skills, especially two guys, uh, Ed Langdon and Clayton Oliver. Um, mm. Interestingly, they, Oliver still only went at 57% by foot, which is better than his season numbers, but Langdon had 13 kicks um, and went at 77% by, kick, uh, by foot. So that is yeah, a problem that we've talked about. Uh, about them having those poor foot skills and the, the poor choices by foot, but that was uh, that was improved from the two of the biggest uh, culprits there with Langdon and Oliver at least hitting those targets uh, by foot at a high rate and it did translate into wins. Not that, that is the number one thing that needs to happen, but it uh, it definitely doesn't hurt. So what about Port Adelaide? What did you take from the power in this one? Because again, uh, remember they were largely competitive against the Lions a week earlier, and it was a second quarter blitz that that completely. Uh, overran them in that game at the Gabba last week. But they came back here against the GWS team and, and picked up a good win and now sit clear on top of the ladder. They're a pretty complete team to power. When you look at the back six, the midfield, and the forward line, it's all functioning pretty well at the moment. Yeah, that, that were, that were, it's a strong bounce back after that disappointment in Brisbane. And we talked about it, not to overreact too much. Yeah, there's plenty of people talking about, oh, same old port. They, they were terrible. But as we said, if they had a kick you know, 6-1 instead of 1-6 in the first quarter, things would have been really, really different. And yeah, th- that we saw having even like 9-9 is not great kicking, but it's a lot better than what they did the week before. And, and having that level of at least more consistency up forward enabled them to get this win. And they really seemed to control for the majority of this game. They just kept building on the lead pretty much every quarter. They only lost the one quarter, and that was the third quarter by about a goal. But just kept sort of building on things. And good performances from guys like Wines, another 20 touches for him. Um, yeah, Dan Houston and, and Powell Pepper led the team in disposal, so they weren't relying upon big numbers from guys like Boak. Uh, and Robbie Grandy had the 13 touches. So getting these other guys uh, in there. Um, and, and again, it wasn't a, a big game from Charlie Dixon, which is two quiet ones in a row from Charlie, just the one goal in this game, but doing it in other ways against a team that had just you know, really dismantled Hawthorne the week before. So I think it's pretty impressive to, to see them bounce back after having some questions turned on them in the media, uh, but being you know, quite efficient with what they were doing, uh, you know, dominating the clearances. 41-25 is a huge number there as well, and really just being, um, just being, I guess, efficient in just doing what they needed to do and did it comfortably. And I, I, watching this game, you didn't ever really feel like they were going to be in huge, um, in huge trouble. It just seemed like they always had it in control. Yeah, well, control is not a bad word because they actually, they're really assertive with the football. And uh, it was two contrasting styles on Saturday between Port Adelaide or Sunday between Port Adelaide and GWS because uh, the Giants, for some reason, and this is sort of getting lost in the point of this segment, but GWS, for some reason, really want to use the handball. When you look at the stats between the two teams, GWS were plus 22 in disposals. But despite that, Port Adelaide were plus 17 in kicks. So they were more prepared to use the ball by foot and that translated into the inside 50. So it's hard to believe that the Giants could have 22 more disposals and be minus 18 in the inside 50s. But that's exactly what happened in this game. And it starts for Port Adelaide with the guys they have behind the ball. They're really good ball users. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, I, I caught up with Hamish Hartlett and I asked him, I said, how can you guys continue to play attacking football? And how does Kenny, Kenny Hinckley uh, take that? when you're taking the attacking kicks into the midfield, looking to press forward and looking to score in relation to defensive structures. And he said, well, the good thing is that we have a bunch of guys. We have four or five different guys that we trust to use the ball from the back 50. So we know at all times, even if one person is pulling the trigger on that kick, 
the structures are set up behind the ball. And even if we turn the ball over, we're confident that we're set up to, to mitigate any uh, quick turnover scoring opportunity. And the three guys, for me, they really stand out. Uh, Darcy Byrne-Jones, Ryan Burton, and Trent McKenzie. Three guys. Uh, Byrne-Jones has been around for a little while. Ryan Burton obviously came across from Hawthorne, which is a, another question all in itself, given our conversation about the Hawks yesterday. Yeah. And Trent McKenzie, they use the ball well. Uh, they gain ground. So they, they carry the ball. And they also kick long. We know that with those three guys. And the other player, Kane Farrell, is another one that has come into the side. When you talk about the young guys, Dersma, uh, Boots, uh, let's say Bootsma. <laughs> Dersma, uh, who, who are Butters, Butters and Rosie. Those three guys are the ones you always hear about. Kane Farrell's one you'll hear a little bit more. Uses the ball really well. Beautiful left foot kick. So I think that's what Port Adelaide have going for them right now. And that was the, the contrast between Port Adelaide and uh, GWS. They're prepared to use the foot. Uh, use the ball by foot, but they also have uh, their setup behind them organized at all times. So there's no concern about taking that risk because they back themselves in, and that's why they're on top of the ladder. One of the, the things I think is you talked about the inefficiency of GWS having all those disposals and not going inside 50. They're, we talked about them last week against Hawthorne, how you know they didn't go inside 50 very much but converted really, really well. But that, that, that's a problem. If you're just not going inside forward 50, do you need to rely upon historical inside 50 conversion to get those scores. like That's something to, to pay attention to. And when a guy, you've got someone here like your Jacob Hopper, who's getting 24 touches or 22 touches and gaining 116 metres, like that's that, that's that's a problem. Another guy in the middle there, Matt DeBoer, we know his role is to be uh, a negator, but he still had 19 touches and gained 123 metres. Like that is just not much ball movement. They outpaced Port Adelaide in terms of score involvement, 70 to 51, meaning that every score or every forward 50 entry to me, that's how I'm interpreting it, is just a laborious, multiple people are having to be involved to really get even in there to do anything. And yeah, that's that's a, is a lot of... We talk about yeah, the low inside 50s, but that's just because they're just mucking around with it so much outside of the forward 50 before they actually end up going in there. And it didn't end up working in their favor. It's crazy to me because it, they haven't won an inside 50 count all season. And it doesn't really make sense because when you think about the Giants, you think about... Uh, great ball users, skillful yes. players, young runners. Uh, but it, it's like they're too scared to pull the trigger to a contest uh, inside 50. It has to be the perfect kick. There has to be a wide-open player. Because, again, when you look at the conversion from inside 50 to scoring shots, uh, Port Adelaide, 51 inside 50s. Uh, they scored on 35% of those uh, 51 entries. The GWS, again, were up at 50%. 16 scoring shots from 33 entries. And this is consistent with them every single week. When they get it in there, they're scoring. But is that a problem? Do they need to not worry about that so much and just pump the ball in there and set up behind the ball and give themselves a chance to win the territory game? Because at the moment, uh, the ball is spent all in the opposition's half and, the G and GWS are fumbling around, handball and handball and kick sideways, kick sideways, instead of moving the ball forward. And I think that meters gain stat that you're talking about really is indicative of that. It, it's strange because a couple of weeks ago when I was looking at this, I, I did I was looking at it as a positive. I'm like, look, the Giants are winning games. The efficiency inside 50 is unbelievable. They're scoring. But when they lose, and then it's a consistent trend, I mean, that 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 is not a stat. That if you're scoring 50% of the time you go inside 50, you've got to be winning those games. They did that against the Bulldogs as well. They just kept... They, they wouldn't move forward. They just kept kicking backwards yeah. and sidewards and taking forever to move the ball. And when you're down and things aren't working, it, it, it looks horrible. It just, there's, there's, no, there's no flow to anything. And that's how they looked in that game against the Bulldogs. And it was a similar sort of story here uh, against Port Adelaide. So some things that they need to pay attention to. We can praise them when it works. But when it doesn't, then you've got to examine... 
you know, which which one of those is uh, yeah, the, the right way to, to go about it. So uh, Port Adelaide, uh, yeah, good for them to get back on, on uh, the winning track and they uh, sit at, uh, on, their, on their own on the top of the ladder. Um, Kane, holding the ball or the tribunal? We could have done another this or that yeah. here because yeah. which one of these is more confusing at the moment? Oh, I think it's holding the ball. I think I've come to expect that. Uh, I have I have no idea what's going on with the tribunal. So I, I don't think that that is really all that confusing. But we may as well touch on it. And it's been a talking point for sure. Uh, Dylan Shield, obviously, two weeks. Uh, Brad Ebert, one week. Gary Rowan just got a fine. Marlon Pickett got a fine. Uh, ben Long, obviously, will go to the tribunal. I suspect he's in a bit of trouble. But the Shield and Gary Rowan one is really interesting. The Ebert one was a little bit different. And he got a week, and I think that that's fine. Uh, but the Shield to Gary Rowan run has been really interesting. What was your take on the fact that Shield got two weeks and Rowan just picked up a fine? The the Rowan one looks super aggressive. It, it looked yeah. like he was yeah real close to having that elbow up as well. Um, yeah. It didn't look good, and I know we shouldn't just be judging. Well, oh, it doesn't look good, but there's there's something in that. Like that looked pretty rough, um, and I just don't I I don't understand. And you could say okay, two weeks or one week, yeah, maybe. I can, but even in this in this situation, like those sort of Differences uh, are impactful, but to be nothing to to compared to two weeks. And I'm not one. I don't want you know you lay a bump that hits in the head. This therefore you get two weeks. Like I don't think you should be having um, penalties like that. But the way this system has gone down, or the way this system is set up, it's almost set up like that. But it doesn't work that way. Like I, I don't. This classification stuff is is quite quite strange. And this is you know, really glaring because it's all happened here in one week, and still the numbers don't make sense. Yeah, the Gary Rowan one was interesting because I was watching this game and he got uh, reported, had that match day report. Which was uh, nothing. Yeah, which was nothing. He actually didn't even make contact, I don't I don't think. I mean, if he did, he, he just grazed uh, the player that was in front of him there. And so I was texting my friends and I was sort of just complaining. I said, what are, what are we doing? Why are we still reporting players on match day? It's ridiculous. You just go to the replay and, and you just look silly. I mean, there's nothing to be gained about that. And I was just finishing sending that text when I was like, Oh, I'll scratch that. He's out for a couple of weeks anyway. I thought this was really... I thought this was going to be automatic suspension because, again, it is the intent. And you could see... I mean, he lined him up. I mean, the, the, he, oh, wasn't trying to do, he, he wasn't trying to do anything else other than bump him. And, and listen, I, I, you know, I, like all footy fans, I love the bump back in the day. It was fantastic. But in today's footy, even as a fan, it's kind of a, a, a useless thing to, to go... It doesn't really make sense. In that situation, he could have just spoiled the handball, uh, gone for a tackle, whatever it may be. The bump itself is just kind of a useless uh, tactic now. You don't really get anything out of it other than if you miss the bump, you look like an idiot. So, or you suspend yourself. So I, I thought that, you know, for mine, I'm totally fine. If they're protecting the head and they don't want the bump to come into the game, then then suspend them all. Like, And when you have... This isn't even week to week. We've seen it vary from week to week. Uh, but to have all these in the same week for mine I mean it's pretty glaring that it doesn't make sense when you look at them side by side so I think they probably they probably all should have got two weeks let's be honest and then I think if you suspend the players maybe in time they stop going the bump because it's costly I mean we're talking about good players here she was in the in the running for the Brownlow early going here uh, Ebert's been vital for Port Adelaide and Gary Rowan clearly again was a huge spark for the Cats on Thursday night yeah, it's. It, it, I agree with you about the match day reports. There's uh, zero need for them. I, I don't think it. All it does is it just changes the, not the outcome of the game, but it puts something in the player's head that yeah, yes. he doesn't necessarily need. And okay, Gary, did, did Gary Rowan go out there? I've already been reported. I might as well just go go it again and <laughs> he, just see what happens. He was angry. He was angry. Yeah, he he definitely was angry. So I, I, that was a weird one. But yeah, the, the bump is strange. But let's let's talk holding the ball because, um, 
the rule hasn't changed. The rule's the same. The interpretation has changed. The AFL are the absolute pinnacle of nonsense decisions without thinking of the impact, changing stuff halfway through a season uh, that nobody is really asking for. Shout out to the third man up in the ruck rule because, again, no one asked for that, yet brought that in. And I think that's caused almost more, almost as many problems as anything in the game that there's no third man up in, in the ruck rule. But anyway, and and this is another thing. Yeah, I harp on about hitouts. The other thing that really shits me, Kane, is when people talk, oh, free kick count. Look at the freeze. They're getting you back into the game. And I, yeah. I get sucked into arguments on Twitter at times, and it was happening uh, in the Bulldogs Carlton game. Oh, the umpires are gifting them back in the game. Okay, that's fine that the Bulldogs have got 13 to 7. That doesn't mean anything. But when a bloke like Sam Doherty picks up the ball 35 meters out from his own goal, gets tackled straight away, and then runs for 15 minutes, oh, 15 minutes, 15 meters while being tackled the whole time, doesn't get rid of the ball, and then gets brought to ground, and then it's just ball up. I, I, I can't. That happened that many times, and that, and that is after. The, the Bulldogs got pinged about three or four times, maybe three times, in the Carlton Ford 50 for holding the ball, which were I, I think were fine to, to ping them, and they got goals from that. But that absolute inconsistency, and you tweeted about this as well, Carlton seemed like, for some reason, they had absolutely forever to get rid of the ball, and that Doherty one, that got my blood boiling, because he, he ran actually 15 metres while being tackled and didn't do anything to get rid of the ball, and then that was it. And it made, there's no justification for it. And if you're going to ping Petraka like you did a, a week ago, and then not ping that, you can't, you cannot rationalize it. Now, I told you on Twitter on Sunday night, I said, <laughs> you're, ex- you're excluded from talking about this game and excluded from talking about the umpiring when it comes to the Bulldogs. But I must admit, it, it stood out to me. It did look like Carlton certainly uh, had uh, more opportunity to, to both hang on to the ball and incorrectly dispose of the ball uh, in that game. And it was clearly like very wet. And I, I think that the umpires... We've seen over the history of the game, when it gets to wet, the rules change a little bit, no doubt. But it did seem to me it stood out. And I just wanted to ask the question because I didn't know whether it was just me that was seeing that. I I think that we saw a lot of free kicks uh, on the weekend where the players, uh, as soon as they picked up the ball, so there's actually no opportunity. So that's not what the, the rule change should be about. It's not about stopping players from collecting the ball unless... The league wants uh, players to be hesitant coming into the contest. And I've got a little bit of a theory, and I tried to tweet this out the other day, but it made no sense. There wasn't enough characters for me to explain what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to try it here with you. The bump came in this week. Now, it's strange to me that we've seen the bump over the last few few seasons, no doubt about it. They've been trying to protect the head. It happens from time to time. But to have four or five in the one week is really interesting. It comes one week after they changed the holding the ball rule. Now, I'm wondering, and I think it's something to watch moving forward, if, if the players aren't going to pick up the ball and they're worried about as soon as possessing the ball, if they get grabbed, it's going to be holding the ball, then what are they going to do? There's going to be hesitation coming into these one-on-one collisions. Does that set up more opportunities for, for, bump because, for the players to bump? Because they're like, well, I'm not going to pick the ball up because I don't want to give away a free kick here. I don't want to possess the ball. I also don't want to just like knock the ball into clear space. That could be disastrous. So I think it creates more awkwardness, more hesitation. I don't know. And this is maybe me looking at the weekend and it's a knee-jerk reaction to what we saw. But I think it's something to watch because it does make those situations kind of awkward because all of a sudden both players are like, well, I don't want to be the one to possess the ball. I want this guy to pick up the ball and I'm going to tackle him and I'm going to bring him down because I'm going to get a free kick straight away because now they've almost stopped rewarding uh, the players for collecting the ball. Like, there's no prior opportunity. We saw that in multiple games across the weekend. So I feel sorry for the umpires, let me say that. I mean, I don't know a league where the officials, referees, umpires, whatever they're called in, in that sport, have to change the rules on the fly during the week. You just don't see it. But the bump and the awkwardness and the hesitation, I think, is something to watch. 
I think that's absolutely true. And we saw multiple times of players being marginally hesitant because, yeah. and we saw this happening in plenty of games. Now, I don't particularly, and some people might disagree, but I think we people get hung up on the scores were low, right? So what can we do mm. to increase scoring? But I'll put put it this way to you. Like, how, how much fun is it to watch goals that just come from someone you know, panickingly knocking the ball out because they're not allowed to pick the ball up and actually do something with it? Like, around goals, oh, I've got to knock it out, and they just knock it out, and, it, and then it becomes complete randomness with the way that the ball bounces and how it gets out, and it just finds a guy who's actually not having an impact on the play that's sitting out there and gets the ball and he's 10 meters out and kicks a goal. Like, is that... Is that, look, it's great. Yeah, my team kicked a goal. That's fantastic. But is watching mistakes continually lead to goals good? It means higher scoring. But if they're all coming from weird mistakes or a strange bounce of a ball, is that as good as a bloke getting a ball at halfback, finding a target, finding another target, hitting a, hitting a bloke up, getting a handball, running past, and kicking a goal? Like, I know which one I'd prefer rather than, oh, my God, these guys all have to panic. We can't tackle it. They're just going to knock it out to us. It's going to bounce, and then we just got to hover around and then just get an easy goal that way. That, that to me, that's, that's not what the game's about, and that's not, that's not enjoyable, even though the score ticks over more. Yeah. Uh, it's I not skillful. Think, no, no, you're right. I, I think that they're taking away... I mean, you always, we've always set. I mean, who gets lower, who, who picks up the ball, who goes for the ball, sort of taken away from that now. And then also, there's the confusion of the sliding rule, which I think has gone away a little bit it this year. It's definitely so you, gone you away. So you can't slide in. You also can't possess the ball because there's going to be a free kick. But you're not allowed to bump either. So what are you supposed to do? I, I don't know. I think it's becoming really difficult for the players. And we forget. We watch it on TV. We put it in slow-mo a million times. And we're like, oh, well, you know, he made the choice, he did this. I mean, I think it's becoming pretty difficult for the players to know what the hell they're supposed to do. Yeah, it is confusing. I saw, I think Matthew Richardson tweeted this out, like just get rid of ruck nominations and just throw it up and clear mm. out the space that way. And that's, you know, the third man up. And that the third man up, the idea was to clear the pack. That is why teams would employ that method. Someone would jump in and thump it and it would clear things out. And then you'd have to be uh, under the expectation that that would happen. Now, that doesn't happen. So everyone can just come in because we know the tap's going to be within a two-meter radius. It's not going to be a 10-meter punch or a 15-meter punch in one direction. And then we wait for the Rockman to get there. Just get the ball going. Don't need to wait for who's going up. That, that is one of the stupidest rules that was ever brought in that literally no one no one asked for. It has no um, positive benefit that I could see. And I think it's caused a lot of the neg- negativity um, surrounding... Look at the game's bad because there's been, there's been plenty of good footy. And I, I'm not not subscribing to this. Oh, the game's in trouble. It's terrible. There is a lot of rules that, that, are, that aren't great and I don't want to see games that are, that are or goals that are consistently decided just by fumbles and mistakes. I, I don't want to see that. But yeah, there, there are things that the AFL has done to, uh, to piss on their own shoes, really. No doubt. I was right into the footy on the weekend. I thought it was great. I yeah, thought it was. There was plenty of, there's plenty of storylines that we still have to get through. I already plugged it earlier, Josh, but I'm going to do it again. Mailbag tomorrow. If you have any questions... Get them through to us on Twitter at LockedOnAFL. Uh, if not, you can send them to the email, LockedOnAFL at gmail.com, and we'll get to those tomorrow. It's always a lot of fun because, uh, listen, we, we can't always be thinking about the, everything that the people want to hear. You have to, you guys have to let us know what you want to hear on the podcast, and we will get to it 100%. So, guys, don't forget, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Shane Brewer.